Thanks for joining us, everybody. It is uh, something of a special edition of our Money Talks program, and we're talking with David Yaskevich today to learn more about um, the situation following the Silicon Valley bank collapse and some of the updates that are coming out of that. Um, David, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. It's been a busy and eventful Monday morning. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and we're certainly learning more about the Silicon Valley Bank situation over the weekend, this morning, um, with the federal government responding. What are we looking at as far as the state and the condition of things now, and, and as well as how the, the government intends to respond? All right, just for a little background, last Friday, the state regulator in California closed down Silicon Valley Bank, and then the FDIC became the receiver of their deposits. And to give a little background on what happened to Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you would have seen a, a regional bank that really focused on the tech sector, and you could describe their deposit base as being rather concentrated. So they were very much exposed to the uh, tech sector and, and what was going on there. Now, if you've heard about the tech sector and kept up with it for the last few months, it has hit a rough patch. You've heard about layoffs. You've heard about declines in income and profits in, in that sector. So uh, you'd have some decline in profits in that concentrated base. In addition, Silicon Valley Bank was quite different from a lot of banks we would expect when, when you would describe a bank as being a retail bank or a bank that would uh, have a lot of customers who are regular households and probably have deposits below the 250000 uh, limit based on FDIC insurance. And if you were to compare Silicon Valley Bank to other banks, Silicon Valley Bank, as I mentioned, was rather concentrated. And a lot of their deposits, more than normal, a lot of their deposits would have been uninsured based on the FDIC standards, meaning their depositors would have had more than $250,000 worth of deposits in the bank. So once you go up above 250000 it wouldn't be insured by the FDIC. So a lot of their customers, compared to normal banks, a lot of their customers would have been uh, related to the tech sector. So this could have been the founders of the companies. This could have been their employees. This could have been the businesses themselves. Uh, so. Uh, higher than normal in terms of the amount of deposits some of their customers had in in their uh, deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. So uh, just to give a comparison, the median number for the percentage of uninsured deposits would be around 55%. You can see some variation, but 90% of deposits in Silicon Valley Bank were uninsured. So in the event of a uh, closing of the bank, that would have a lot of risk on the part of those depositors. Now, the federal government did something over the weekend. Uh, and by federal government, I'm referring to the Treasury Department, the FDIC, and also uh, the Federal Reserve took some action over the weekend to try and limit the risk or, or pro provide somewhat of a backstop to the losses to depositors. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but it wasn't just the concentrated uh, deposit base at Silicon Valley Bank. It was also the percentage of the deposits that were uninsured. 
And there was what we would call a bank run that happened to them. Really, the bank run is what caused Silicon Valley Bank to be closed. So that would be where depositors are worried that the bank may be in financial trouble. So they start to withdraw their funds or they start to withdraw their deposits and look for banks where uh, there might be more healthy financial conditions, particularly banks that uh, would have a higher likelihood of uh, not having the, the financial troubles that we would have seen at Silicon Valley Bank. So more diversified banks with larger pools of customers and, and, and different bases besides being concentrated in the tech sector. So that type of bank run is what happened. Uh, there were some larger institutional investors who pulled their money out of Silicon Valley Bank and they basically had a bank run. Now over the weekend there was a similar story there was a similar story with a bank in New York called Signature Bank. Now, they weren't so much concentrated in the tech sector. They were more concentrated with crypto businesses. But it was a similar story where you had a concentrated deposit base. You had a large percentage of deposits with larger uh, clients, larger depositors, where a large share of deposits were uninsured by the FDIC. And on top of that, another common link between the two stories of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank would have been something called duration risk. If you have these short-term liabilities for banks, which is when a, a bank takes customer deposits, which could, which could be withdrawn at any time, uh, there another side to the story where these banks, again, Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, would have longer-term assets. So they would have uh, purchased uh, Treasury securities, kind of bonds. Uh, they would have purchased mortgage-backed securities. And these types of financial securities tend to mature over the long term. So if you have treasury securities or you have mortgage-backed securities, if you need to sell those off in order to have the liquidity to finance uh, deposits that would be withdrawn by your, your, your customers at a bank, uh, if you had to sell those now before maturity, those banks could see a significant loss in their value if instead of selling them at the face or the par value, they had to sell them at the market value at the current time they needed those funds. And that's what happened. It was reported that with Silicon Valley Bank, they lost around $1.8 billion because they had to sell their quote unquote safe assets, again, treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities, much earlier than the maturity date. So some of the actions taken by the Federal Reserve over the weekend would, to, would have tried to uh, cushion the blow if any of those types of duration risks outcomes uh, took place. Uh, but that's kind of the story of what took place. So again, there's multiple factors. This is a multi-pronged uh, problem that each of these two banks that closed down faced. So concentrated base of depositors, uh, high percentage of deposits that were uninsured by the FDIC, and then in the presence of higher interest rates that have occurred over the last year, this duration risk that they were highly exposed to, where they saw a lost sharp reduction in their asset values due to selling off these securities sooner than the maturity dates. So that's kind of the background and those are the common stories. Now, this, the concern the concern from here is that this type of a bank run that each type, each bank here faced, this type of a bank run could spread or be somewhat contagious to other banks out there that might have, again, a rather concentrated or lack of diverse pool of depositors 
or have a large share of deposits that are uninsured by the FDIC. So basically other regional banks out there that would follow those characteristics would be at risk now of seeing depositor flight or similar types of bank runs. So that's kind of the background story on what, what came here. Uh, so that provides some context. All right, and so that is um, something where certainly the, the federal government is working to, you know, assuage fears of other bank runs, right? That, and and, and uh, what, what, do we, what do we look at as far as um, chances that that will happen? Do you expect it would be something where there'd be concentrated uh, focuses for different banks again, or would it be something that just can, is contagious outside of that? Right. Getting to that contagion prevention element, over the weekend, particularly on Sunday, there were some measures taken to try and provide some confidence to the banking sector, and in particular, uh, try and prevent fears that this type of bank run would spread to other regional banks. So there was kind of a, a multi-pronged effort, but there were two main uh, parts to this uh, intervention that took place on Sunday. One would be that the FDIC's deposit insurance fund would be used to fund not only the insured deposits at Signature Bank and, and Silicon Valley Bank, but also the uninsured deposits would be covered by that same deposit insurance fund. So there, it was reported that enough funds are available in that FDIC deposit insurance fund to cover both the insured and the uninsured funds. So that's the, the first part of this effort to reduce the fears to the banking system. And in that case, you would see the risk to depositors basically be covered by this FDIC deposit insurance fund, whether they were insured or not. Uh, the other part to that would be a new program started by the Federal Reserve, which would be backed by $25 billion from the Treasury Department. And this is called the Bank Term Funding Program. Right, so the bank term funding program, and it would really get to that duration risk story that I was mentioning earlier, where banks had these short-term liabilities where they had to fund the withdrawal of deposits if customers took their money out of their banks, but there were a significant amount of funds that banks had tied to long-term securities, so treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities, that wouldn't mature till a lengthier period of time. But if they wanted to sell those securities, they'd see a significant drop in the value because they were selling them before their maturity dates. And due to the higher interest rates, and there's an inverse relationship between interest rates and bond values, they had to sell those bonds at much smaller values. So this bank term funding program is really addressing that problem that each of these two banks that closed faced. So the way this program that the Federal Reserve will run, it operates along these lines. Let's say you're one of those banks and you have a lot of those treasury bonds or mortgage-backed securities. They don't mature for a while. If you sold them, you'd lose a significant amount of value. The Fed will swap cash and the amount of cash would be valued at the maturity value or the face value of those bonds. So the Fed will provide cash. In exchange, they will take those securities from those banks, and it's really, it's really think of it as like a one-year loan, a one-year loan where those uh, those fixed asset securities are really the collateral that the banks would would provide the Fed. So they're swapping those bonds in exchange for the cash that they could use to have the liquidity to fund the uh, withdrawal of deposits from their banks. 
So those two elements, the FDIC deposit insurance fund extended to even uninsured depositors, and then this bank term funding program to kind of smoothen the or reduce the blow of having to sell long-term assets to cover short-term liabilities. Those are really what we're calling, or, or the uh, regulators are calling a backstop to these uh, bank closures. So they're using the term a backstop to prevent losses to depositors and prevent further contagion. And it's not really called a bailout from that standpoint. And they would defend that it's not a bailout because the stockholders of these companies and the bondholder, the uh, bondholders of these companies would not be covered. They would be facing significant losses here, probably seeing their values of stockholdings and bondholdings be wiped out as a result of these bank closures. All right, certainly. And you, you mentioned a little bit about that stock market um, impact, a little bit about that um, economy impact. What do we? Would we expect that, um, given where the loci of this uh, this collapse, these collapses, the Silicon Valley Bank um, and so forth are, are within the tech sector. Is it, is it primarily hitting the tech sector? Is it having a ripple effect with the stock market? Do we see anything there? Yeah, yeah there's going to be multiple areas that could face some fallout. It's too early to really see how much will, will affect these different areas. But yes, given Silicon Valley Bank's role and activities in the tech sector, funding to tech sector companies would be one area of concern following that. Well, they hit a rough patch with the closure of Silicon Valley Bank and perhaps some weakening, weakening in the financial conditions of other banks that are involved in similar types of uh, lending activities, particularly those facing or, or targeted towards the, the tech sector. Now, if you look at the stock market today, banks in general, uh, and the financial sector in general is seeing declines in stock prices. So there's a lot of pessimism right now in the financial sector. Even uh, larger banks, even banks that would be considered global systematic, systemically important banks, uh, GSIBs, global systematic, systemically important banks, I get that right, um, those are even seeing that they're even seeing declines in their stock prices. But where you're seeing the largest declines in stock prices today would be banks that are regional banks, again, concentrated deposit bases and with large percentage of their deposits uninsured. So the regional banks that see characteristics most similar to Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank are seeing the largest drops in their stock prices today and fears of further deposit uh, flight from those banks are, are really what's driving those uh, changes in stock prices. So you're seeing some change in the stock or some movements in the stock uh, prices today for financial sector companies. Um, another place where you'd want to maybe place some attention when we look at the fallout of this is what will happen to monetary policy as a result of this. About a week ago, we were expecting either a half a percentage point change in uh, interest rates when the Fed meets next. Uh, at the low, low point, it would have been a quarter percentage point hike. Uh, now I think a lot of the conversations are more dovish or, or a lot smaller in, in pace. Either a quarter percent hike or nothing is what we're expecting because of the financial stress that we're seeing in the banking system right now, particularly on regional banks and smaller banks. Uh, that would be something where there might be some concern 
on moving forward on that. All right. Anything else to mention today before we wrap up? Anything else to, to note about the whole situation? Sure. I, I, would, I would point out two more things. First, the, the number one fear would be the contagion to uh, other regional banks. Uh, although I, I think that might be relatively limited uh, in the impact, you'll see other bank runs occur. I think you'll see that banks that do have diversified depositor bases will be quite fine. Uh, maybe they have to have slightly higher interest rates to uh, keep some of their depositors happy for the, the time being. But I think for the most part, those that really do have the higher levels of risk in terms of concentrated depositor bases and a large share of deposits that are uninsured by the FDIC, I think they're the ones that are really at most risk here. I think most banks that probably a lot of your viewers belong to will probably be perfectly fine as a result of this. But in terms of what other uh, factors or what, what other activities might come from this, I think regulators are gonna give some scrutiny to uh, some practices in banking as a result of this. Uh, so I think looking at diversification requirements and I think looking at duration, duration risk, as I was describing earlier, I think those would be things you'll probably hear about over the next year, whether it's the uh, Senate Banking Committee or the House Financial Services Committee, I think you'll hear a lot of scrutiny and uh, a lot of concerns about those areas of risk, uh, particularly in, in smaller banks, not so much the larger ones. Also, I think the uh, concerns of moral hazard will probably be something you hear a lot about in the news. So if the FDIC insurance fund is being extended to depositors at these two banks that uh, were beyond the $250,000 limit for depositor insurance, uh, you're, you're going to hear questions of something called moral hazard, which would be if you're uh, compensated uh, after some risky or costly behavior takes place, are you more likely to engage in that risky or costly behavior? So there, there was one story with Silicon Valley Bank and it was the company Roku, apparently had 26% of their cash holdings invested or, or deposited within Silicon Valley Bank. Roblox, another company, had a large share of its cash holdings deposited within Silicon Valley Bank. Both were well above 250,000. They were in the hundreds of millions in that case. So we could ask the question, if you're those companies with Oh, 150 million for Roblox or over $400 million worth of deposits for Roku. Uh, should they be concerned about putting those that much funds in a risky bank because there could be a future, uh, I don't want to say bailout, but a backstop or some type of coverage of those deposits if the bank went bad? So if, if this intervention that took place would encourage less careful scrutiny of banks on the part of depositors or just just not uh, putting much attention on the risks of putting those much funds in the bank, uh, that would be considered a, an example of moral hazard. We'll probably hear more about that. If we hear other banks have similar problems, again, banks that would have similar conditions as Silicon Valley and Signature, uh, you'll hear this moral hazard story continue. If we extend the coverage to the uninsured depositors, will it encourage depositors to be less careful with where they place their money? 
All right, David Yaskevich, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate you making the time. Oh, thank you. Happy to help. To our audience as well, we appreciate you all tuning in, being here with us today. Stick around. We'll have more local news live just around the corner. Thanks again, everybody.